This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network. My latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In this episode, I visit with James Green. James is the Director of Risk Advisory Services at SII Global. We take a look at the risk assessment, management, and how to think about the COVID-19 health crisis and economic dislocation from a risk management perspective. It's a fascinating exploration of how to operationalize risk management in your company. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me James Green. James is, uh, first of all, he's a fellow U of M grad, so go blue. Go blue. But James, uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your time today, Tom. James, what's your role at SAI Global? Uh, Sure thing. I am the Director of Risk Advisory Services in North America. So what does that mean? Uh, It means that in North America, I help our customers with business continuity, with life safety, with workplace violence. Um, Globally, I serve as the company's Subject subject matter expert for business continuity, workplace violence, and uh, like all of us these days, pandemic response. So, James, uh, many states, uh, localities, counties, municipalities are now uh, either slowly reopening or considering reopening. And I wanted to visit with you today about uh, that phase of where we are in the coronavirus health crisis and economic dislocation, but focus on risk. So what are, first, if I could start, what are some of the questions you are getting or you are hearing from your client base around risk and reopening? Yeah, so the first question, Tom, is can I even reopen? And this seems like a black or white question, right? But if you look at where I'm based in Tampa, Florida, at one point over the last two months, I was under a city ordinance, a county ordinance, and a state ordinance and they all conflicted with each other. So legally, which one would you follow as an employer? So the first question that companies are struggling with, if they operate in multiple jurisdictions, how do I even know what I'm allowed to do? Not even getting yet to what's the right thing to do, what's the ethical thing to do, just as a baseline, how do I even know? And companies are really struggling with that. And a lot of our clients who are international clients are really struggling with that. Because if you look at the ordinances in other countries, it's we're open, we're closed. And when people start to work with um, us in the US, each state is different, each county is different, each city is different. So the, the first thing that companies are dealing with is just how do I even know what the right thing to do is? And that you would think that would be an easy question, but it's turning out not to be. So how does a uh, let me let me phrase it in, in this way in the state of Texas, uh, 
there's a debate about whether employers should receive some sort of liability waiver if employees get sick on the job. Um, if you're an employee, you cannot sue your employer. There's a workers' compensation scheme for that. Workers' compensation, uh, however, does not protect against illness unless you can prove that the you got the illness from the job. And workers' compensation Correct. decision is made by the insurance company, who, uh, having represented those companies for a large period of my uh, professional life, will deny every claim. Uh, and so how yes. do you factor in... Uh, employees being concerned about whether they'll be protected with the legal uh, issues that you just raised. Well, you have to you have to factor in your employees, right? Your employees are your biggest stakeholder, and companies are looking at right now. Even if we're allowed to reopen, should we re even open after every pandemic uh, that I've studied? When people start to move around again, there's either going to be a spike. Right. Because we're interacting, there's going to be more people sick and a spike is okay. That's natural. But sometimes there's a wave. So if you look at the 1918 pandemic, that was actually three separate waves. It's a lot easier for us to study these after the fact and try to figure them out in real time. So some of our uh, more sophisticated customers and clients are looking at just because we can reopen. What happens if we bring everyone back and they get sick and we wipe out our workforce? We've created a second pandemic problem. So companies are really looking at a phased approach. Who do we bring back first? Maybe we only bring back the business functions that are suffering the greatest amount of productivity loss working from home. Everyone else, people like me, if you're working from home and you're being productive, let's keep you home. For now, let's manage, you know, the, uh, the the long side of the the curve for the pandemic, just for business reasons. And then you also need to take into account a lot of employees, a lot of people now are scared to interact, are concerned about interacting. So again, if you have a productive employee, employee, if you have a productive employee base, why would you force? an additional stress on them if maybe they're not willing or able to do that right now. James, how do you begin to think through considerations simply beyond your own employee base and inside of your company when you consider externalities such as the supply chain and such as customers? How do you begin to analyze supply chain risk in the era of uh, coronavirus health crisis? Exactly. So we initially started talking about coronavirus in late January as a supply chain incident. Before globally spread, we were looking at where Wuhan is, not only in China, but where it is in terms of relation to the world's manufacturing base, right? It was Chinese New Year. You had a lot of mobility. You had a lot of people. We first started um, putting out I guess, flares for this or concerns around supply chain. And that's a, it's a really big factor, Tom, right? As we become more interconnected as, as, um, as a globe, as companies become more tightly integrated, we're seeing that supply chain issues immediately become business continuity and risk issues. So companies really need to understand where their key processes are located with vendors, 
where their key people are, and if they have concentration risk. If you and I had a manufacturing company and we have three suppliers all within 50 miles of each other anywhere in the world, that's a problem. And that's going to continue to be a pro, uh, problem going forward. Companies need to diversify their risk. They need to diversify their suppliers and vendors, not just in who they use, but where they're located. And a lot of companies really didn't pay attention to that, but they're certainly paying attention to it now. One of the things that uh, certainly uh, many companies uh, had thought about or at least tried to implement was either a just-in-time supply chain or a very lean supply chain. And how did they begin to think through the implications of coronavirus around perhaps having uh, less efficiency or, I like the phrase, more fat in your supply chain? Yeah, exactly. So the beauty of just-in-time is profitability. Right. The problem, like you said, is it does not allow for a bump in the road. So uh, I started working with uh, a large manufacturing company two years ago and they recognized this exact issue. Hey, if we run all our plants at 100 percent capacity and we're tightly connected, if one goes down, we lose them all. So they made a conscious effort over the last two years to decrease their efficiency to run at 85, 90% capacity to allow for if they had a business continuity event in one area, they could move over to another. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of board of directors now understand that while it may cost you a bit more quarter over quarter, what happens when there is a COVID-19 and you post a quarter of zero revenue? of zero going out the door. I would rather have 90% go out the door week over week, month over month, than 100% and then just grind to zero. Because the other thing these companies are gonna find out is if you're they're somebody's supplier, right? And at some point, if I can't buy from you as a customer, I'm gonna replace you. So a lot of companies are gonna experience secondary effects three, six, nine months from now when their customers don't renew with them because they had to find a way to replace them. If you're my critical vendor, right, and you're a key part of my supply chain and I can't get whatever it is I buy from you, I either have to find someone else or I go out of business. And so I think a lot of companies are going to see that just-in-time mentality bites them not only in the short run with a disruption, but it's going to hurt them long run with their brand, with their reputation, and with their revenue. Is that a message that is resonating now with your client base? Yes, it certainly is. Like I said, we've had, um, I work with a lot of manufacturing companies because uh, manufacturing is interesting in the world of business continuity, right? As a white, uh, white collar back office worker, I can work from home. If you and I are manufacturing microphones, we can't assemble those at home. There is no work from home for manufacturing, um, especially if you're looking at you know chemicals or hazardous materials. So a lot of our customers over the last two or three years had recognized that, had prepared for that. And now there's a lot of companies that are scrambling or realizing they have to make those shifts. It's going to be a business imperative. So now could we turn perhaps to the customer side 
And I recognize that if you're a business-to-consumer customer, it's one set of issues. But what about business-to-business customers? What are some of the issues that uh, either you're seeing or you're raising with your customer base on the B2B side? Yeah, so one of the things that we're advocating is honesty and transparency. Generally, when you you and I have a B2B relationship, we have a contract, right? It's governed by SLAs, it's covered by penalties. All There's all these contractual triggers. And what we're seeing right now is there's no one who's operating business as usual, right? We've all had some type of disruption or chain. So when you talk to your suppliers, when you talk to your B2B, either customers or vendors, you know, you just, you need to have honest conversations with them. Hey, what are you really able to provide me right now? Well, let the lawyers figure out the contract down the road. I'd rather get an honest assessment from my vendors of what they can actually do than just be, oh, we've, we're, we're fine. And the same thing with your customers right now. If you can't deliver 100% to your customers, you need to be triaging that. Which of my customers are most critical to my business? If I had a order or some deliverable due to you, Tom, let's say today's, you know, let's say May 15th, are you, is that a hard deadline? Are you flexible on that? Would you be okay if I delivered that to you 30, 60, 90 days later if you got a price discount, if you got some other type of concession, or do you really need it right now? Companies need to be ranking the criticality of their customers and their deliverables, whether it's consulting, software, cars, whatever. It shouldn't just be you know first in, first out anymore in any, in any aspect. You need to really look at what can I actually deliver? What are my biggest pain points if I don't deliver? and prioritize based on that. James, this discussion, uh, I could probably sit and have this discussion with you all day. We could go into some very <laughs> theoretical realm. But it struck me in just listening to your last few answers. You've really uh, operationalized a level of risk management and articulated it in a way that drove it all the way down, literally to the shipping clerk in a company. Is that also a message that's resonating, uh, that risk management is not the risk management professional sitting at home now or sitting at the corporate office, but it's actually an operationalized operational matter as well. Yes, absolutely. We're seeing a lot of companies realize right now that risk management is not just an audit function. It's not just um, compiling your top 10 risk, right? It's not just a check the box. It really needs to be, how are you actually mitigating risk? for the business. The goal of risk is to ensure the business stays in operation. And so I've always been in my career, a very action oriented type person. And uh, some background, Tom, the reason on that, when I first started in business continuity, I learned classic business continuity. I learned classic enterprise risk management, organizational risk. I had all my plans. I had all my check the box, all my graphs. And then what happened, the company I was working for, we had a site in Cairo, Egypt, and the government fell, right? I didn't have a playbook for what happens when the government collapses. And it, it made me rethink my whole philosophy around risk that you need to, it's not just a plan and a project, it has to be actionable, 
How are we actually moving forward when there's a disruption? How are we, we it's great to capture risk in blue sky, are you actually mitigating it? Are you actually doing something about it? And that's one of the biggest complaints that we've heard from new customers talking to us now is they say, my plans are not actionable. And we're all sitting at home and we all have these binders and we don't know what to do. How do we actually move forward through this event or through any event? James, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time. But before we go, uh, SAI Global has uh, been, uh, I think, extraordinarily helpful in providing a number of resources around COVID-19, both the health crisis, the economic dislocation, and the risk management uh, strategies that you've been discussing. I was wondering if you could maybe point the audience to some of the places they might look. Yeah. So, Tom, we made a very conscious decision early on that we were going to put as much content in front of a paywall as possible. This is not time to be capitalizing on other people's misfortune. So you can go to our website, saiglobal.com. We have a dedicated um, pandemic information center portal. There is free information there around supply chain, business continuity. We have uh, a pandemic response plan. You can download it. It's in Word. You can put your logo on it. You can change it, do whatever you want. So uh, we've done 10 to 15 webinars in front of the, the paywall. We have hundreds of hours of content now to really to be able to help people um, you know, manage through this and get back on their feet. James, this has been a fascinating exploration of uh, risk management in the time of COVID-19. I hope we can continue the conversation. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. If you have any questions or you have a topic you would like explored on this podcast, please shoot me an email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, as a call to action, I would ask if you could to please tell one of your friends about the podcast so we can spread the word out about the newest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, if you would leave us a rating on iTunes or a review, it would greatly help get this the word out about this most important podcast over the next several months. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me for our next episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.